0: welcome back everyone uh this is uh exo friends on the elder millennial network uh a exo squad podcast and just as always a reminder if you want to support the podcast you can go to patreon.com slash em network and as always i am david hoyt and i am joined by
1: gavon fashami
2: and lexi de all right
0: Hey everyone, <laughs> it's good to it's Hi, good everybody. to talk to you all again. Um, uh, as always, we like to date our podcast by saying something like the last time we spoke was before there was an attempted coup in our in the United States.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Phaeton and his minions uh, dressed up as Buffalo men. Uh,
0: thank God it wasn't though, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, well,
1: that's the thing. Like, yeah, I mean, I get like how this was. I don't know. I don't know how political we want to get, but I am. I do you have a PhD in right wing extremism? But uh you know, um people you know, like talking about like oh it's a coup, this is whatever. It's like uh, usually coups are a little more well organized, and usually like, you know, if they accomplish something, it's not just a bunch of guys on their Instagrams like yeah. at Storm of the Capitol right now. They forps for, for their followers.
0: Forever in my life this coup will be symbolized with a picture of that grinning idiot taking away that podium or a lectern. Right. It's actually a lectern.
1: <laughs>
2: right. I mean, a, I, I'm not supporting, you know, what happened, but at the same time, like I, I probably also would have put in my, put my feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. And I also probably may have stolen a podium. Like, I don't, I don't know, you know, yeah, on that I front, mean, I'm not judging, but uh... <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, let's all, you know, be thankful. It was like, it was not actually a coup and it was just a disorganized mob of moron right wing guys. And uh yeah, not like Phaeton and his army.
0: I also love I also love that one the one picture of the guys like jumping over a railing looking all badass in all his military gear with those zip ties and shit. He had to <laughs> he was brought to the uh to the coup by his mom which you know <laughs> it whatever, whatever if you need a ride you need a ride but like it just it really drives home a lot of that and I and I also understand that we do tend to focus on these hilarious stories and not on the fact that there's like a lot of ex-military people and police officers mm-hmm. and people in official positions were part of this and that's the really scary part
1: Well, so I've had this conversation a few times on Facebook and I think like you know there's been a tendency to Compare this to sort of what happened with the Third Reich and things like the Reichstag fire. Um, ooh, I butchered that Reichstag fire. Um, and like, okay, yes, it is scary that there are a bunch of you know former military guys, law enforcement, uh, active duty military personnel too. I think, um, but nonetheless, this is not they. What what's lacking here is the thing that made the Nazis work, and that's organization. There's no central organization. There's no leadership. This is a bunch of people. Yes, some of them have training. Yes, some of them are very scary people, but there's no one calling the shots. There's no one organizing them. There's no one that's going to be able to whip this into um, a kind of organized force that's capable of accomplishing something. Certainly not Donald Trump. He's not going to do it. The man's mostly just like, you know, I mean, he's he is a provocateur, but he's not, you know, he's just not smart enough to organize anything in a meaningful way. And we saw what the limits of this kind of thing is. Is like sporadic outbursts and acts of violence, which are bad enough. But once they get in the, once they occupied the Capitol, what did they do? They milled about for a minute. They took a bunch of photos of themselves, which now is then leading to their hilariously leading to them getting arrested, and then they left. Because there's no one. It's the same. It's the same problem that a lot of left wing movements, you know, like Occupy, um, almost a decade ago now. What like occupied Zuccotti Park? And we're like we're here, and then like could never answer the now what question because again you lack that. Modern social movements in general, just they're too atomized and too distributed over like these loose networks to really have the kind of central organization that mass parties used in like the interwar period, for instance, to accomplish the kind of things that like the Nazis did or the Bolsheviks did. Sorry, this is a... Uh...
0: No, yeah. no, I like it. I like it. Uh, that's, that's not something I would have thought of and it actually gives me a tiny twinge of hope that maybe this will not all be forgotten, but all be for nothing.
1: Right. Well, and that's usually what happens with modern social movements is it's a lot of, you know, like intense outpouring of what we call in academia, like affect, which uh, has a bunch of different ways to define it. But it it, in in very simple terms is means like um, emotions that sort of socially organize people. And so we all have these like These moments were just like, you know, all the frustrations of 21st century life and all the anger and all of that boils over, social media can't contain it. And you have these moments of like spontaneous outbursts where people are just like venting emotions. It's almost cathartic. And then, you know, it gets kind of burned out because there's nothing there to just, you know, like organize this sentiment and like whip it into something that can accomplish something meaningful. I mean, someday this could happen. So like, I'm not saying like, don't worry because like in a generation or two, if this keeps happening, (laughs) you know, what's happening now could lay the foundation for something much more meaningful. But in the foreseeable future, I don't think we really have much to worry about beyond what is still concerning. And that's, um, spontaneous acts of violence. Like what we saw in the Capitol.
0: Well, you know, Speaking of burning it all down, va- <laughs> va- <laughs> va- the va- a veil of doom part three scorched Venus. That's the episode we're covering today. It's episode seven of ExoSquad. Um, as always, you can watch it on the uh, Peacock service from NBC. It's free for the time being. Hopefully it stays that way forever.
1: Ooh, wait a minute.
0: Ooh. Did we not do a traitor among us? Did
1: we not do a traitor among
0: us? Did I skip an episode?
1: I think
0: you might
2: have Oh shit. Damn we have <laughs> to get to the
1: episode where they like get flung toward the sun? I don't think we've talked
2: about. I'm that looking yet. at No, I'm looking at um the episode 7 notes. And I No, this is the same I think, okay. I, think I, at... I think
0: I <laughs> think I Wait, wait. So so maybe that's... it's just
2: the title's wrong because I'm looking at everything that happens here. you could like the cat eye moment with the Neo Sapien God, yeah, and I also took notes on that because he's like super fucking pupil dilation. It's amazing. Access um, God
0: episode list. Did I? Yeah, I
2: think we've just got the titles fucked up.
0: I got the title fucked up. Yes. Okay. Yeah, right. it right. could
2: be you. It could be our streaming service. Who knows?
1: I think I think it is episode <laughs> six though.
0: No, uh, this is a, the, we're today we're covering episode seven, a Veil of okay. Doom Part Two: A Traitor Among Us. All right, there yeah, is. yeah. So I I just yeah, wrote yeah, down, right. I wrote down the wrong ep- the wrong episode name. Uh, <laughs> right. All right, well, we can cut all that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this is skilly do skilly do skilly do. Right. The magic of editing. Uh, <laughs> segue-, segue us in, Dave. <laughs> yeah so uh well we we still start with plenty of fire uh because the epi- the episode opens on uh, nara burns dreaming of venus burning um vesta the capital of she sees vesta the capital of venus occupied by neo sapiens and she's dreaming of herself running towards her family farm to save her family and then it explodes right before she gets there she wakes up in a cold sweat um This is this is actually I noticed this as the episode went on um, the the facial animation and focus in this episode is much better and uh, slightly like not what we've seen before so far from the series. Uh, you see a lot of like close-ups on people as they're like experiencing Mm. consternation or fear and such. And it really, you know, again, just uh, the more great things about the show and Kayvon, you've talked about before where they've got kind of like, it seems like they're A, B and C tier teams for animation. I (laughs) feel like this episode got more work by their A -A tier team, at least from those artists than than previous ones.
1: Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, for me, Maybe part of that is because this is an episode that really is like geared towards doing a lot of character building, and especially for Nara Burns, um, which is something that again it gets cuts to what's like really special about this show, and the fact that you know this is what like 1994 or so, 1993, when this is coming out, and you have the like the kind of trope of the hero who is ruminating on their failure to defend their family. You know, this is something you see in, like, Gladiator and, like, a lot of stuff where it's, like, oh, the, the, the sort of hero who's failed and, like, let their family down or, like, let someone that's important to them down and, like, lost something meaningful. And that's Nara Burns in this episode. And so it's, like, just, it's interesting to see this, like, what's usually a very kind of, like, masculine trope of, like, you know, like, the, the male hero protecting his family or failing to protect his family being
2: transferred instead to a female character. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of like Ripley in Aliens. It's, yeah. yeah, Like a similar take on that trope. Um, and yeah, she kind of... <laughs> I, I like that you pointed out the, um, the close-ups and the facial expressions and the way that they build character, Dave. And I agree with you. I think, you know, the animation is really good in that point. But there's also like some really goofy facial expressions mm-hmm. in this episode. Um, and a couple of really weird, goofy, like, close-ups on JT uh, <laughs> that I remember. And... Just like, oh wow, do we need that much detail on his face? I don't know about that, but um, at least for the opening, like Nara's Nara's sequence is, is good.
0: I Zoom in real that. close to see the individual pores on their face. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, re- I really feel the stress right here. Yeah. Uh, now that now that you said now that you said uh, you compared the this scene to like the the I failed to protect my family idea from Gladiator. Now I'm just picturing Nara Burns fighting. Was it Russell Crowe? Was he the guy in that movie? <laughs>
2: Joaquin Phoenix. Uh,
1: Joaquin Phoenix was the bad guy. Who's well, uh, who's the, who's the uh, good the guy? Competitor. Uh, uh, Russell Crowe for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Nara Nara, Nara Burns versus Russell Crowe's character from Gladiator. I'm going with Nara Burns. I think she's more competent in the fight and has future martial arts.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, and modern humans are just bigger. We're just a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient humans also we we eat more, <laughs> and thus we're a lot bigger than they used to be. So, yeah, I think this she was on the floor with him for sure. Um, I mean, she probably has. They never really get into it too. But she probably has all kinds of like strength enhancements and like all kinds of stuff too. All kinds of like oh yeah, like, you know, do you think and.
0: They, they don't, they don't, I don't think they ever really touch on that. But I would think in like, my, in that far in the future, we have like ways that are better than steroids to enhance people. Like maybe not as, but maybe not as buff boy as your average Neo Sapien, but like Nara Burns could probably just like lift him up and just like twirl him around with one hand
1: and throw him. Like <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, man. I mean, they have like, they have a Jack that, hooks into their brain so yeah. um, <laughs> all hard all yeah. it to imagine that they have like a steroid gland or something the
0: and and throw throw in a throw in like a professional wrestling moment in it where like the walking phoenix character comes on to like hit her in the back of the head with a chair but then <laughs> surprise wolf bronzky off the top <laughs> rope
1: it's like, is that, is that, that's Wolf Bronski. Oh, the humanity. Comes out just like, yeah. <laughs> Smashes him with a chair. <laughs> Smashes him with
0: a chair, stands over him, doesn't even say anything, just belches.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, Wolf Brosky really is, like, he is a wrestling personality. Like, he would make a fantastic, like, lovable, you know, wrestling character.
0: Man, I haven't, yeah. wa- I haven't watched wrestling in years. I've heard it's gotten pretty crazy slash bad but
1: i mean it's you know it's a soap opera yeah <laughs> it's always been a soap opera it's you know i don't know i watched it, i watched it all the way up in high school and it's fun and i used to work at a job at a bar where we would have wrestling pay-per-views and so i saw like every there's a year and a half stretch where i saw like every wwe pay-per-view imaginable and it's what it is you know yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's wrestle wrestling wrestling moments aside the uh at the next <laughs> right out right after uh nara nara has this dream and she says uh, that's it i've got to go home so she's she's obviously making she's decided and she's going to start making a plan but we go to jt and alec who are infiltrating some neo sapien facility on earth and uh, they want to send a message to the exo fleet um and going back to that the that facial work there's a neo sapien guard who walks out of this facility before they come in and he, they zoom in to show his eyes adjusting for the light for the for the light difference outside which i thought was a really cool detail
2: yeah i just couldn't help but think it's like oh that's when the mdma really hits <laughs> i can <laughs> i can like... see sound
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You gotta make it's like super
2: dilation.
0: <laughs> well, that's why that's why it's so easy for them to break into this facility because the what, the the head guard is like just super high and he's just like, what were those humans? Nah, <laughs> probably
1: just a cat. I uh, am just at one with the universe <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and I wrote down the man. I hate it when I do this when I write down the notes. Like Marsala makes a joke and I don't write down what it was because now I can't remember it.
1: Um, is- I remember it was like pretty good.
0: Well, Marsala one liners are always pretty good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> worth just talking just, about.
0: just considering the source and the delivery.
1: Right. Okay, here he comes. He's creeping up on him. Marsala's grabbing him. It's a like kinda of like rough scene where it's like I think he's strangling him to death, but it's hard Oh to- yeah. <laughs> like they do the real yes. creepy, like
0: you can only see it in the shadows kind of thing. Right. So you don't see all the actual violence, but you know that he's choking a dude out. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah,
2: and there's like, like a gurgling go- like, noise. That's he did grim. not expect us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: like, guess he was is not he expecting even
0: Right? Like, it, it, sometimes Marsala's jokes don't exactly work, which makes them even more endearing, I think. Um, Absolutely. The, but they get, it, they get into this facility after that, and there's a Neo-Sapien working at like the communications console, and he's got like a weird deformed head. Where he's, uh, it kind of looks like a loaf of bread is grown under his 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 scalp, and it's got like it's got like a weird ridge and it goes back all the way, kind of like a mohawk. And that's the right. only I think that's the only time we've the first time we've seen
1: an Neosapien with some differing facial features like that. It kind of struck me as like almost like a hairstyle. Yeah, he's <laughs> got like kind of a cool <laughs> hairstyle or something like that going on. maybe.
0: So they, uh, there's a real great series of books. Actually, I think Kayvon, you told me a long time ago, where uh, they they it's a sci-fi it's a sci-fi series, and the one of the main cruxes of it is that humanity is so far advanced that we have the ability to like change our bodies and hor- through hormones that we can control ourselves. Maybe Neo sapiens can novels. do some. What was that? Yeah, Ian, Ian,
2: and Banks. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah that's it. Um, it, but, like, maybe Neo-Sapiens have, like, a small version of that where they can – maybe they're gender fluid. Like, they can just be women if they want to. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be
1: sweet. Uh, you I know, mean, Maybe that's, like yeah, – they don't have hair, so maybe it's, like, skull reformation as, like, a, their way of doing style.
2: Yeah. Are, the, they, are they allowed to have – I guess they are allowed to have individual personalities because they have individual names and they will have, like, different uh, marks on their heads – so i don't know it's it's still i feel like at this point in the show it's hard to tell exactly what Neo neosapien culture is um because most of what we've seen of it is them being nazis right? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately but it, i mean these are all like really interesting questions i would love to have answers like what is their take on individuality versus uh being part of like the whole culture or being part of the community uh And like to what extent you're allowed to individualize your features um and then again you know back to our previous conversations about like why have boobs if you're
0: (laughs) reproducing (laughs)
2: asexually but you know i'm not judging
0: uh (laughs) it doesn't make maybe
2: loaf loaf breadhead is just like a thing a phase
0: well unfortunately unfortunately for loaf breadhead he is immediately dispatched by uh by the members of Able Squad, I don't think he's killed. I think he's just knocked out or something. It's
1: ambiguous because a giant flying chunk of rock smashes him into a wall. Um, and <laughs> I've actually got a fantastic still of it at the moment as I just pause the episode right when that happens, and it's like him midair spread eagle with this like rock actually slamming kind of into his groin and the rest of him at the same time. Uh, I'll take a screenshot and drop it in chat. But uh yeah. Um I don't know, he might may or may not be dead.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully loaf bread head survives. I you know, he's he's a he's a fan favorite and we'll see him again in the future, I'm sure. Uh he goes
2: on to open a bakery. What was that? I said he goes on to open a bakery.
0: <laughs> you go Loaf loaf bread loaf bread head bakery. Um they they serve everyone. I'm sure uh, <laughs> the, it, but uh, so the JT, JT gets to send out this message to Admiral Winfield and uh, Marsala's guarding the door and it's the only door out. And of course there's more guards coming in at this point because they've realized they've, they've been invaded. And uh, Alec with his always plentiful supply of explosives just blows up a wall and they go through that way. Um, <laughs>
2: Why not? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's a
0: prop, prop. it. Helped. It wasn't a load bearing wall, right? Alec right. is Alec is also a structural engineering uh, expert who can just tell these things at a glance. I'm sure.
1: Right. Well, but my right. favorite part of that scene too is just standing with his arms crossed. He just looks so pleased with himself. He's like, JT's like, this is the only way out of this room. And then you hear this explosion that cuts him. And he's just like, not anymore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so fucking
1: good at my job. <laughs> right. He's just like, I'm a boss. I blew up this wall.
2: It's kind of funny because, like, I was gonna say, why sneak in in the first place if you're just gonna like explode your way out? I don't know, but
0: right, maybe that's well, just it's, me. It's, especially because like it's not very long before they cut off JT's transmission and trap them in that room. Right, <laughs>
2: right.
1: Not not exactly the best plan here, guys. It's like, well, but they did. But they did succeed. They got the message out. <laughs> this is true. And, you know, one of the th- so one of the things that really I, also during that scene where they're sneaking in that oh, kind of makes me chuckle is it's like going through all this, like, caution to be stealthy. Marsala, like, strangles his guard in the shadows. It's, like, super stealthy. And then it cuts to them walking into the facility, and Marsala's just clomping along. It's like, clom, 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 clom. <laughs> it's like, I guess you're being sneaky? What? To- well,
0: all the all the other Neo-Sapiens are clomping, so they just think it's another Neo-Sapien, right? This is true. They are. That, that's point. that's the only that's the only reasonable explanation I can come up with. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course,
1: that must be Tim back from his MDMA break.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, he's come down by now. Yeah. oh my god that is a great <laughs> screenshot where are his
1: legs that those are his legs the red are his legs Oh, he's <laughs> <He has> the- <laughs> so it's like it's like bashing him in the groin uh i know it's i know
0: i know it's tough on a podcast to describe a screenshot but everyone if you're if you're looking at the show Right at this scene, like around the three minute and 30 second mark, if you could somehow catch this one frame of animation, it's well worth your time.
1: <laughs> we'll post it when the episode goes live, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, gotta, I'll, yeah I'll put it yeah, up on the Instagram. Oh, this is fucking is talking about facial
0: expressions, <laughs> dude. It's great. Uh, so, but so they, they successfully get this out, this message out, uh, or they think they do, they hope they do. And they escape the facility. And then Winfield is receiving the message and he thinks, uh, oh, man, we we'll, we've got to, we've, we've got to do something about the graph shield on Venus, because if we don't, then they won't have to worry about defending their planets and they can come attack us as they please. And the exosquad, the exo fleet is in no shape to handle such a thing right now. So he decides that he needs to send a team to Venus. And fortunately enough, Nara, Lieutenant Burns, is, just happens to be standing right there. And it's like, well, we could go. We're ready to go.
2: And- yeah, she's, she's just hanging out, like waiting for any excuse to find okay. her way to Venus.
1: As soon Which, as somebody you know, mentions uh, Venus, I'm going to volunteer.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, of
0: course, the immediate question for that also it, that Woodfield should ask me, like, you can't be ready to go. You're missing three members of your team, including the guy whose like job it is to gather and handle information,
1: right? Which leads <laughs> that... some fantastic consequences later in the episode. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: the the this that scene goes by relatively quick, and we go back to Earth where JT is arguing with Jinx, who is now, I guess, the de facto leader of the resistance since Napier has been captured. And they're they're arguing whether or not they should trade Zenobius, the captured Neo Sapien scientist, for Napier. And while they're mm-hmm. while they're arguing, uh, Diana, who we now know is the traitor amongst the resistance, just kind of unties Zenobius, and he he crouches like in a video game and just sneaks out without anyone seeing.
2: That <laughs> right. was the most confusing. I'm like, she's right there. Like how? Like even in your peripheral vision. Do you not notice that this woman is untying a giant neo sapien like in the same right vicinity i don't know i mean i don't speak standard measurement but i'm like she can't be more than like two meters away from where this argument is happening yeah uh
0: no she's not <laughs> and also like how many she, feet is that Zen- i don't know Zen- zenobius is sitting like right behind jinx and
1: there's a bunch of people looking at jinx right and so how do you not even just, like, register, like, there's, like, movement happening? Like, you know, you're on just, like, sense of, like, instinctive awareness. Bill, they have <laughs> they, established they... Neo-Sapien's clump. How is he not just, like, <laughs> clomping away through the sewer? It's like, oh, what's that rumbling sound?
0: And also, you know Alec DeLeon, like, put immediately put a tracker under that guy's skin or something. Right. he is he is no slouch he he's probably like this guy's got to try to escape i better put a tracking thing on him
2: <laughs> right i mean no offense but maybe this is why like the human resistance on earth wasn't doing so well they do kind of suck Able squad showed up yeah, like, like you... guys come on <laughs>
1: hashtag resistance guys well, the... get it together
2: They've just been posting on Facebook for the last year. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're just oh my God, did you see? <laughs> they're literally just posting like, did you see that guy at the Capitol or oh, fuck? Anyway, um, there is a really funny moment though where so like JT and Jinx are getting into it and they're having this argument. Uh, and Jinx, I think like Masala also makes some sort of comment like, oh, I agree with Lieutenant Marsh. Unfortunately, you know, if we have to sacrifice... Napier, or at least, like, not, you know, bust him out at this point, That's logically makes more sense to not risk him um, and to focus on our, our mission to Venus or whatever, with the graph shields. And, like, Jinx gets up in Marsala's face and tries to, I don't know, like, grab him by the collar or something, uh, which firstly just looks hilarious also because the angle at which it's animated is, like, looking down, so Jinx he just looks even smaller compared to Marsala. But then JT also like rushes up and says like "knock it off, kid" or something <laughs> to Jinx. Like, he's a grown man. That's really weird. Right. Well, I mean, it, they
0: they frame it in, a, in in like a way that you would see in maybe another cartoon. If a kid was attacking an adult, it's almost it, it it's almost as easy for Marsala to stop him as like that classic. He just puts his hand on his head, so when he's swinging right. his fists, he can't reach him.
2: Yeah, Marsala doesn't look threatened at all, and he's just like, oh, okay, I guess this tiny human is trying to hold onto my colonel." And, right.
0: and then the other great thing about the scene is uh, after after Zenobius escapes, and everyone's like, "Oh no, Zenobius escaped!" The Diana's like, "Yes, he escaped.
1: How did he do that?"
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a great it looks like, like. Oh, so go go ahead.
2: I was gonna say, it reminds me of that meme of like the the like monkey puppet when it turns its head, like that gif. Like, (gasps) she's she's like ready hamming it up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's like talk about great facial animation. Like, I think that's it's fantastic. Her just like, oh, (laughs) I. It's wonderful. Was it my turn to watch him? (laughs) My bad. I didn't hear him (laughs) clomping away through the sewers. Sorry.
0: after after Diana's oscar worthy performance uh we go we go to see Napier being tortured by she- one of Shiva's goons uh who is just like he must know nothing he is revealing nothing no one has ever withstood our torture like this <laughs> and uh they send Napier away to a deportation camp
1: i
2: guess is the best way to describe it i don't yeah. know
1: that's i mean that's literally what it is yeah
2: I mean, yeah, that's literally what we have right now. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> deportation camp it is. Vamp-
1: separation mm. and deportation. Yeah.
0: Poignant social commentary from 20, 30 years ago. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nuts.
1: Right, yeah. yeah Terrible. Right. Well, and so that, uh, that kind of, you know, this, like all the camps, the deportations, this sort of stuff. I wonder how much, and I'm not like super well versed in the history of it, but the Balkan conflict would have been going on at the same time as the show's being written and produced. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much of that like may have like also contributed to the focus on things like this, on like the sort of like the Nazi imagery and the notion of like ethnic cleansing and all that sort of stuff that sort of takes place in the show. Well, this... I wonder how much that sort of helps set the context or was it a context for this?
0: That would be, really cool if it did because of course maybe it was because I was in fact 12 years old or yeah 12 years old when this came out of course I had no idea back then that that conflict was going on um and I almost want to say like that wasn't covered at all by any type of news outlet or anything like that so like if 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 whoever wrote that scene or this was thinking about that at the time, kudos to them for actually being a well-informed person.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially because I mean, I think it hit the news later in ninety four, ninety five, but uh, it was it was like on the news because my dad would always have us watch, had me watch the news when I was little. I thought it was important or something. So um, and look at me now. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I remember, I remember being like, it was a news story, it was there, but it wasn't, it didn't become like a, a focus until like, you know, American Intervention later on in the mid-90s and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it does kind of set set the tone at least a little bit, because it is, you know, it would have been something that would have been happening at the time.
0: Well, at the very least, I can fantasize about socially responsible cartoon writers. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, no, uh, at this well, so we we forgot we kind of skipped over the fact that after Zenobius escaped, JT was like, "Well, I guess we got to change that plan. Uh, let's work on breaking into that camp and getting Napier out, and then we'll and then we'll uh, get ourselves sent to Venus by posing as refugees or whatever." Hmm. Uh, and we we immediately go into that plan. Peter Tanaka sneaks up to this energy fence, which for some reason he has to blow up when they have flying e frames. And because uh, no one else escapes during this.
1: No. Which I also yeah. thought was a little weird. It's like there's this terrible deportation camp and you're gonna bust out Napier and literally leave everyone else.
0: I kinda get it from like like maybe like a super secret black ops perspective, where it's like, okay, we only we can only get Napier out. If we get everyone else out, it's gonna ruin the plan of getting JT, Alec, and yeah. Marsala to Venus. That that's that's the only like but still like if I was if I was in that camp and assuming that, like, I had the strength and, like, mental fortitude to actually do it, you know, and someone breaks in to break someone else out, I would be running away beside those people. Right. <laughs> even, right. Like, get me the fuck out of here. It's <laughs> like, yeah, I do not
1: want to stay in this deportation camp. I am not trying to go to Venus.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because uh, Venus is pro—I don't—maybe— Maybe Venus would be, maybe you think Venus would be better. You're like, oh, yeah, let's go to Venus. Maybe the work camps there are less intense labor. Yeah, I hear the Venusian sunrise is nice. It is very nice. <laughs> right. Nara.
2: I keep hearing about it. <laughs> Nara keeps talking oh about it.
0: She probably does a podcast called The Venusian Sunrise. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Nara? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, all things Venusian geography and culture. I would friends. listen to that podcast. Yeah. Uh, so I
0: feel
2: like it would be very NPR, like, I don't know, in the tone of
0: the. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably more where it would be. It wouldn't be a podcast. It would be like a like a 20 to 30 minute segment on Saturday afternoon on your local NPR station or something yeah. like that.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, there's no way she's not an NPR. She's like an NPR, not just like listener, but like she donates. She's a contributor. She's, she's,
0: her, <laughs> she actually her her entire closet in her spacious suite on the Exo Fleet is actually just <laughs> is actually just filled with tote bags.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I really love. Is like it seems like all the crew quarters on the at least on the Resolute are these like enormous suites.
0: I mean they're 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 like the equivalent of small studio apartments. But like, I just again yeah. I can't imagine. You know you make even if your aircraft carrier is huge. Like unless you're unless you're an officer of some kind, I don't think you get that big of a room to yourself. Right. Again, yeah. she is a lieutenant, but still. Um, well, anyway, so we kind of we kind of glossed over it again. The, the 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 plan goes off. Peter Tanaka takes out the electricity fence. The resistance that it, that has somehow inexplicably gained a whole bunch of human modeled e frames at this point walks in, frees Napier blows up two of those very valuable E-frames and then Alec and JT take off all of their like exos uniforms and blend in with the deportation crowd. And uh, I do like, I do like the scene where Eve's just walking around, just tearing the place up. She's just like <laughs> destroying this camp. And uh like I said, they just, they just walk out um, Napier escapes in JT's e-frame, and uh, as I was talking about before, because they didn't free anyone else, they're really lucky. No one in there was like, "Hey, can I have an extra loaf of bread if I tell you where these exo fleet people are?"
2: Right, <laughs> like no one, no one really questions what they're doing or <laughs>
0: just like I just uh, them or anything. <laughs> it, every everyone in that deportation camp is 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 very, very loyal to the human cause, which I kind of like, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe that is the case. Well, um, these are supposed maybe...
1: to be like the troublemakers, right? The ones that they can't just keep in the work camps on earth. These are the people who are un- the so-called undesirables, again, Nazi language. Um, so, you know, maybe these are the people that do have a sp- like more of a commitment to being, you know, anti-Neo sapien, or at least like pro human, like for the human cause.
0: I guess I didn't draw that connection. Uh, that makes more sense. Yeah. The um, but uh, Alec uh, Alec and J- uh, this this episode moves incredibly fast. Like it yeah. it's a standard length, and a lot happens, but it doesn't feel that long. Um, because immediately Alec and JT are loaded onto a shuttle. We get this little demonstration of Neo'saping cruelty where an older couple are split up. Uh, the the. The, the man is sent to a different part of the shuttle with Alec and JT and the woman has to go. Um Alec makes some joke and one of the Neo guards like stun batons him. And it's like no talking. Um and this is one of the more egregious examples of cartoonishly evil Neosapiens, because they're just like <laughs> stupid humans.
1: <laughs>
2: I think Alex is something like a if this is first class, I don't want to see economy. And then he yeah, gets like right. tasered in the back by the yep. Neo. And then he's like, "What oh, about this super hearing?" And it's like, "Shut the fuck up, dude! Like, <laughs> you've already been tasered once. Just stop talking." Yeah. Like, how could how could you
0: ever forget how superior Neo Sapiens are to you when you have a prominent member <laughs> of your squad who's constantly bringing it up all the time? <laughs> well, as you see, we are both stronger, faster, smarter than you. So the Yep, you should you should bow to us, but I digress. <laughs> Marsala, was that a joke? Was it funny? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: it's just like constantly running intellectual circles around them.
0: Yeah, sorry. Uh, D- Diane, Diana, the traitor from the Resistance, also sneaks into this. Um, and after they take off, she. Sees I can't, it was kind of confusing to me. I couldn't tell whether she knew they were going to be there or whether she just got on and happened upon them because she sees JT and Alec after the shuttle is launched and she goes up to one of the guards and is like, those guys are from Exo Fleet." and it's Marsala in a guard uniform, his favorite trick. And he's just like, oh, are they? And...
2: Uh, <laughs> yeah. and- Doesn't he grab her though? And he like puts his giant... And pour thing over her mouth and it's like yeah. covers half her face.
0: Yeah, he does. I mean, it's really aggressive, but like, I guess he's trying to like make sure she doesn't like yell or anything to give him away, which I mean, right. I, I understand a little bit, but again, it is, it is pretty aggressive. Um, and he drags her over and I guess there are no other Neo sapien guards in the shuttle at this time because they don't see this. And he's like, Oh, look what I found guys, <laughs> the traitor and Alec gets really angry. Like if I I get the feeling that if Alec had the opportunity to kill her right then, he would have.
1: Yeah. Right? He definitely like strikes me as the one like the one member of Able Squad who's just like completely morally unbothered by killing people. It's just like, well, if I have to, it's fine, whatever, for the cause, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, he's like I don't know, that that trope of the CIA guy who's only goal. He's almost James Bondish. He doesn't care about the collateral damage. He only cares about the mission.
1: Yeah. That's him too. Well, and not just that, I think like it's though, it's not just caring about the mission. It's just for him, there is no real like moral counterbalance to taking a life, right? Like he's just, this is his thing, you know, it's if it needs to be done, it's done. And he doesn't think twice about it. It's not a problem for him. It doesn't keep him up at night in the way that it would keep... You would expect, like, killing someone, um, especially that intimately, would, like, keep, like, J.T. Marshall, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, understandably, Alex was already pissed at Diana because she's, like, betrayed the whole human race, so...
0: Yeah, at, the, at this point... In,
2: in his defense, in this moment, it's like, <laughs> yeah, of course he's pissed off. <laughs> True.
0: At, at this... And she,
2: she just tried to rat them out and get them, you know, like, fuck up their plan as well, so...
0: Yeah. At, at this point, it's really like, how many people has Diana killed with her actions? Probably right. a
2: lot.
1: Right. And, you know, I think there's some, you know, he he mentions Naredi, um, you know, he's like, tell that to her. She says something to try and, like, oh, I was trying, just trying to, like, save my family or something. He's like, well, tell that to Naredi. Um Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And when he said that, I was trying to remember, was, was Shiva able, Shiva didn't blow up or didn't see that asteroid coming in because of information from Diana. He blew it up because they saw it on their radar. Right. Right. So, I mean, I I understand where Alec could maybe make that leap of logic, but it's, it's incorrect. I think to do that.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, I mean, that's just, that's like probably just the emotions. He's like, well, my friend died on this mission and you have been like a constant hindrance to it because you're, a traitor. Um, So, you know, I think he's probably just not, it doesn't matter whether it's like logical to connect her to it or not. He's going to blame her anyway.
0: Yeah. At this point she is, she is the catalyst for everything that has gone wrong on earth, Um, (laughs) which is not, not super unfair. Uh, So, uh, able squad at this point is being launched Towards is going to Venus on a scouting mission, and we get this wonderful scene where Bronski is in the same model of E frame. It might even be Alex E frame, <laughs> and it it struck me. Cause I, I have a few friends who are you know in who have been who were in the military during uh, the Iraq War, and a lot of, a couple of them always have these hilarious stories where they would there would be some kind of like incentive or something for them to get certified on like. A piece of equipment or something like that and then they would get certified on it never use it again for like a year and a half or two years or something and then be asked to use it they'd be like uh i don't remember how to use this <laughs> and and that's the feeling i get with Brodsky right here because like of all the people at able squad Maybe maybe his ground assault eframe isn't super useful here, and that's why they put him in there. But I have to imagine like you 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 have to be like okay, the person that we're going to put in this eframe has to know how to use it. <laughs> right. And I
2: and right. I would think and do like information gathering and data. <laughs> like you're doing all kinds of high tech stuff, right?
0: Yeah, and to me to me probably it, the people who are in who are still up there in Able Squad, I would think either Nara or Maggie would be would be the two best candidates to use that e-frame but no nope, stuff and bronski in there or just get someone else from another squad and this right. it just it just speaks again to what we were talking about earlier when she walked up and she's like able squad's ready to go winfield should have been like but your your leader one of your best soldiers and your intelligence officer aren't here how could you possibly go on a reconnaissance mission and it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's fine <Whatever. laughs> Desperate times, desperate measures. Bronski like mentally swears at the thing, and it's like, that's not nice. <laughs>
1: Why would you say <laughs> that, like, pilot? It's like, yeah, that's something like the parameters like... for this request cannot be carried out or something like that. Yeah. Oh.
2: Because you don't, we don't actually see the exo frames communicating back with the pilots or like Able Squad to this do we i can't remember because i felt like this was a an interesting scene in the sense that previously you see how they you know they show that little like shot of the electricity flowing either from the e into the person's brain at that little like matrix connection point or vice versa um which is how we kind of know that they communicate like basically telepathically <laughs> or whatever like directly with these machines in order to control them but this is the first time you hear Um, The E-Frame's voice, like speaking back to uh, Bronski in particular and just being like, you're an idiot. I cannot (laughs) understand what you are requesting. Um, And I think I wrote it down at one stage, like he's he just keeps mucking it up and making a fool of himself. And it's like the windscreen wiper goes off at one point. Um, And I think she says to him something like your mental imaging presents an impossibility, Agent Bronski. And I've just written here, is the mental imaging him telling her to go fuck herself? Like, is that <laughs> what's going on in this machine? I
0: do not I do not possess the appendages or capability to do that, pilot. <laughs> yeah, the closest thing we've seen to that was last episode when Zenobius was talking to the computer and it, like, low-key makes fun of him.
2: Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, that's right.
0: Insufficient parameters. Do you have another request?
2: You're and- a dumbass.
0: He, he, you, you are not as smart as your human assistant thanks uh, Well, it, but they go on this mission and when, I, I love the part where Winfield is like getting the information from them and he's looking at the pictures that Bronsky is sending back he's like is that one upside down and then they just go back to Bronsky bungling this trying to fly this thing <laughs> uh, as, as they're do- right as they're about to leave um, they get attacked by a Neo-Sapien patrol And they they make quick work of it, except like one E-frame gets away. And in the fight, um, Nara pretends that her E-frame is damaged. She's like, I'm going to sit down for repairs. Go on without me. And they inexplicably do. Well, it creates this weird thing where at the beginning of the mission, Rita is obviously in charge. But, and I looked it up, I think Nara, by her rank, outranks Rita, so maybe she yeah. can give that order for them to go away. But at the same time, it seems like Rita has like battlefield authority. So I, I, and I think personally, from what we've seen of Rita so far, it would have been more in character for her to be like, "Okay, you're going to land, and then we're going to stuff you in Maggie's frame and get the hell out of here." Like we can't have right. you go down there alone. Like,
2: yeah Rita's definitely like in charge on the battlefield as you say because she's the one kind of giving out the orders um, there's also like a really funny moment where she compliments Maggie although so like Kayvon was commenting like this is the first and maybe only time we see Maggie actually fire a um like a rocket or whatever off mm-hmm. of her E-frame and you see it fly like shh shh And it doesn't hit anything. Like the next shot is just two like neosapien e-frames getting shot with lasers, but like nothing explodes, like nothing happens. And then Rita's like, "Good shooting, Weston." You're like, "Really?"
1: (laughs) (laughs) But she missed.
2: (laughs) But she didn't do fucking anything.
1: (laughs) It's you know, women have to support each other, especially in male-dominated workspaces. So I guess.
0: (laughs) <laughs> this, this, might not be, this might not be the best example of that, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the joke. There's is, there is one thing, you know,
1: we were also talking about when we were watching this episode is uh, Lexi probably explained the Bechtel test better than I can, but this is a, uh, it's amazing how much this show for a piece of like kids media from the early nineties just totally passes it left and right.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you want me to explain what that is quickly? Yeah, it's, I feel yeah, like it's the top of my head. I'll, I'll, I'll probably fuck it up, but it's uh, from a um, uh, comic artist, Alison Bechdel, who wrote, oh my God, like the most famous of her work that I know of is like Funhouse, which is really incredible. But she had a whole series called like, uh, oh my God, was it Dykes Who Matter or something? It was kind of like tongue in cheek, uh, queer comic fiction in the 90s. And one of the comics is like two characters who go to watch... Uh, I believe it's like alien and they're having a conversation about it and somehow this has morphed into this thing called the Bestal test which is in a TV show um, or a film but I guess this also applies to like other kind of forms of fiction, uh, where two female characters have a conversation with each other that does not revolve around a man. Like, that's all the test is. Do these female characters actually have some sort of relationship or conversation or interaction that does not revolve around them fighting about a man, talking about a man, commenting on a man? Uh, and I think that was like the context of the conversation in the comic as well was um, that Alien kind of does that because the female characters are like real characters. They're not just there to, I don't know, talk <laughs> boys so, all the time.
0: Right. Well, they're as they're as, not.
2: As us girls do uh <laughs> but yeah so the, this show is actually again it's like a really good example of something that passes the best test as we would say which is women characters who are actually real characters who have you know uh who have stories and story arcs that do not just revolve around them being romantic interests or romantically interested right. in boots
1: and a range of like a range of interactions in a given scene where you have like uh you know Women, you know, complimenting each other, supporting each other, saying, hey, you did a good job here, but also having, like, disagreements and arguments about, like, tactics and strategy and, like, who should be doing what, and...
0: I started to judge these things based on three criteria. A, do the women in the story exist solely to progress the plot lines of male characters? B, Mm. um... If you can draw a silu- if you can draw any most reasonable silhouettes of the character, especially if they're a of a woman of a female character or a female presenting character, and not be able to tell whether they're naked or not, that's probably <laughs> bad. Um, and and third is you know the basic Bechtel test: do they talk? Do they at least through at least for a significant portion of the story? have conversations that are interactions that aren't uh, revolved around men or men's feelings about them or their feelings about men. And I think yeah. Squad does a pretty good job in most of those regards. I, even the silhouette one, I mean, it's not terribly good on the silhouetting, but it it's the rest of them I think are there pretty yeah. solidly.
1: I mean, for a kid's show that came out before people really even started talking about this kind of stuff. It's pretty fantastic. It's like, who was writing this, though? It'd be nice to know, like, were these conscious conversations in the writer's room? Or was it something that just kind of happened organically? Was it like, well, we want to model this after, like, Star Trek, for instance, so we're just going to put a bunch of female characters in leadership places, and that's just how it's going to be?
2: Well, I don't know. I think it was like... uh... I think it was like an, someone interviewing George R.R. R. Martin, like if you're a Song of Ice and Fire fan, uh, just asking him, it's like, well, like how do you write such amazing female characters? And he's like, well, I just, I start from this like radical premise that women are people. And again, like, it's actually not that hard if you <laughs> if you think about it that way, right? And that's, again, what's interesting about Nara Burns having that she's the character who takes on this trope of like, I failed my family or I, you know, I like, failed to protect and save my family, um and that like maggie and rita i guess don't get as much development but later on in the series they also have their like moments and it's it's fine to have romantic interests between you know male and female characters or whatever that's not like the issue um it's just like is there more to this character than that and you know if you actually treat characters of either gender or all genders as (laughs) real people with complex inner lives then i don't think it's that difficult to do but it's you know. Listen, we we can still give praise where praise is due. <laughs> your
0: your radical left ideals have no place here, let's I'm, 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 I'm feminist. Feminist. <laughs> see. I'm very uncomfortable. I'm very uncomfortable right now. <sighs>
2: um <laughs> I was, I was say, speaking, segway, speaking of women as people, uh Nara. I mean, some, that's the things like Nara makes this what could be seen as a very selfish or not the smartest decision to break off from the rest of Abel Squad under the pretenses that her machine is now like needing repairs, and she just like flies down to Venus to go save her family or go check on her family or whatever. Which um, again, you know, that's what makes her a real character is that she makes what it could ostensibly be a very bad or very stupid decision.
0: Yeah, and I think that was probably one of the only things that's, that, in my mind, may be detracted from the scene. And maybe it makes it better, like you just said, because it makes her a person with who makes mistakes and such like that. But it feels like, from what we've seen of Nara so far, yes, we know she loves her family, and yes, we know it's very important, and that's the motivation of it. But it also seems like this decision is incredibly stupid and dangerous.
1: But they've set it up, right? That's the thing. They've set this up for you because, I mean, one of the first things that we see in this entire series is her talk, you know, sending a message to her family. They emphasize how much her family matters to her. We already know her family's dead except for her brother, um, that her farm's been destroyed. And, you know, and then they kind of introduce it in this episode. It's all she can think about. So Mm -hmm. it makes her, that's what makes her rich and complex is, like, we know she's a capable, really good leader. She's a smart, you know, officer, all this stuff. But she has this other, she's multidimensional, right? She has these other aspects of her personality and character that then contribute to creating conflict within her. That, you know, she's got her duty to the extra squad, her duty to be the best trooper she can be, but she also has this duty to her family and she has to weigh these things. And yeah, she makes what may not be a great decision, but it's that the the pieces are there to understand the motivation behind it, even if it's something where it's like, this might not be the best idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I was okay with this. like maybe absolutely. if it was a less poorly maybe if it was a less well written character I'd be like okay, <laughs> like but that this the show makes up for it with with its uh, character building absolutely uh yeah. it, it, she get I like when she gets out she the last thing about this thing she gets she lands on Venus and she gets out of her e frame and does this like hero pose and the wind is
1: like billowing her hair behind
0: her and she's like I'm back. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and doesn't she do like a, she does like a sweet like somersault out of her heat frame, does she? She does. Yeah. Yes.
0: Which is why I said she would totally kick the shit out of Russell Crowe and God her.
2: Oh, there's no question.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, she's pretty badass. Uh, and then does it immediately transition from that to like the end of the episode is we're back on this shuttle that's supposedly headed towards Venus, right? Mm
0: hmm. Yeah. So so we're back so it goes it does like you said go go immediately back to that shuttle and uh they're like oh there's Venus and then the the part of the shuttle that they're on doesn't make go the right direction because the neo sapiens flying the shuttle pointed it at the sun and just let the cargo with all those prisoners go flying towards the sun. Yeah. And uh the the, the neo sapiens Flying the the ship is has this really great like monologue where he's like one more sacrifice to the sun god for these primitive apes, and he just goes on for like a minute about how fucking stupid humans are, right? And uh, like superstitious and such. Um, and again, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, the That's line easy. is
2: something like, uh, "Cause they're like." Ha ha ha! How could they even believe that we would take them to Venus? That's so illogical. And then one of them says, "These are the creatures who believe in the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny." Yeah. Uh, ha ha ha! And I was just like, "Wow!" Shots fired at your child audience, guys. <laughs> like <this. laughs> right. It's
1: like,
0: it's
2: man, like everyone watching this show believes in the tooth fairy, and the Easter bunny.
0: <laughs> Remember, kids, if you're too superstitious, a, if you're too superstitious, a giant blue man will throw you into the sun. Right. <laughs>
1: Um, But that's because the whole thing is like there's a little setup before that where um, uh, De Leon says something about He's like, I never understood exile. Like, why would you put all of your troublemakers in the same place? Which is historically, you know, you look at like how the Bolsheviks, you know, kind of were organizing outside of Russia in exile and stuff like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah, the neo-safi is like exile, stupid human shit. We don't do that. It's illogical, (laughs) but we're just incinerating all of them.
0: But it doesn't look like they're actually incinerating all of it. it, 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 it well, because there's another
1: shuttle, right? Or is no. it all just one shuttle? It's all one shuttle and it's all oh, multiple right. cars okay. being flung into the sun. And yeah. so this, this is really for me when I was a kid, I I've remembered that moment watching this my entire life is it, I was watching it and you know, the episode ends with them heading toward the sun and it's getting really bright. Um, and, you know, I remember thinking like, okay, well, they're going to save them next week because there's no way they're going to kill them. But then it occurred to me, it's like, but this is a deportation program that's been running the entire time that mm-hmm. you say for over a year. Oh yeah. God, how many people have they killed! And this is this
0: is the point where you realize because of what, because of the dialogue between Diana and Shiva in the previous episode where he's like your family's on venus mm-hmm. her family's yeah. dead yeah they're gone yeah
2: well because there's that moment in in the shuttle like when um jt uh sorry jt diana and alec de leon are looking out the window and they're like oh shit we're not going to venus we're like flying straight into the sun and i think DeLeon says something to her like oh yeah this is what your precious Neo sapiens have been doing or something um and she does burst out crying and i have to admit like i you know obvious reasons i'm not a fan of diana because she is a traitor and she's done all these horrible things in the name of saving her family but in that moment i actually did feel a lot of sympathy for her because she realizes that she's been duped that her family is long since dead and she's basically betrayed her friends and the resistance and like her entire species on a lie um and they don't really dwell on it but i i felt like that was a really powerful moment and if you're watching carefully um yeah i don't know i was just like shit yeah you're fucking going to hate yourself for the rest of your life if you even survive this. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah.
0: And they don't they don't make any bones about the fact cuz they they show on the shuttle there's at least one woman like carrying a child. Hmm. Um and the fact yeah. you know we know that Diana thought that her husband and her son were on Venus. Yeah. Like the, this this show does not shy away from the fact that children are victims and dying in this war.
1: Well, the, and that's what makes this – what's, I think, so radical about this show is it's like war is not glamorous. It's not heroic. It has those things. It has heroism in it. But, like, overall, it's like this is it's, – it's, it's, it's this horrifying, brutal human and extra human in the case of the Neosapien experience where, like, yeah, children die, innocents die, people who've done more or less nothing and don't deserve to die die. Like, this is, this is is this is what war really is is not just the battlefield fighting, but the collateral damage, the suffering, the unnecessary, and just the stupid loss of human life, um, and the cruelty and the barbarism of it. And that's really, I think, where this show is light years ahead of pretty much everything else that was on at the time, or before it, that dealt with similar subject matter. And really, most stuff that's come after it since. I couldn't... I'd struggle to imagine contemporary Hollywood studios producing something... This anti-war and this radical in the in the in the post nine eleven age,
0: yeah, especially well, especially not with children's cartoons. Yeah, um, like I I would argue, well, not argue. I would I would just say that like Game of Thrones had, had I think at the end of the day, an anti-war message. Um, you know, especially with how the series ended. Uh, and you know, the, there's a lot of adult series and anime that tend to have these messages in them. But when it comes to children's cartoons, a they tend to, I think, usually shy away from war, uh, and b they certainly don't go into it as with as much
1: uh, graphic text and subtext right. as the show yeah. did. Yeah, I mean, imagine GI Joe trying to handle the, oh my god G, the concept <laughs> of genocide for child audience you know (laughs) because that's what this is like let's call this what this is this is genocide what they're doing and it's it's really similar to the nazi program of like you use the ones that can work and work them to death and you exterminate the rest like this is it's you know and i mean uh, this is around the time that you start at least like in my experience started learning about the holocaust in school so it was like putting these two things together as a kid and just thinking like man this is this is not x-men (laughs) <laughs> this is not the Spider-Man yeah. cartoon. This is something very different. Oh, my God. How many people have the Neo-Sapiens been killing over the past year? Yep. It's hard stuff. It's heavy, man. Well,
0: and that's that's where the episode ends. Um, well, we what get... It I
1: see you have it in your notes. So I think we should probably acknowledge we get a little joke from JT <laughs> right at the end to lighten the mood. What does he uh, say uh,
0: remember again, I wrote it down as a joke, and I didn't write down what the
1: joke, was. so he's as you know they they have the sunlight streaming through and it's really bright and everyone's starting to sweat because it's getting hotter as they get close to the sun and he's like, well, anyone got any bright ideas?
0: oh yeah <laughs> it's just like
1: it ends on that you're just like damn, but j t that was
2: not the time <laughs>
1: Was it funny? J-2? I mean, or oh, now
2: is the perfect time. Like, why not just make dumb puns as you fly into the sun? I would like,
0: totally, I would totally be making dumb puns. would be like, well, am going to go out. I'm going to go out with everyone hating me for making a pun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, uh, Hope you brought your sunblock, guys.
2: <laughs> oh my God. He's trying to what, look it, on the bright side. <laughs> me-
0: meme meme version of jt he's just like he just puts on he just puts on a pair of sunglasses looks at he's like deal with it
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh god
2: (laughs) well on that note um
1: yeah
2: i mean if you if you have watched what comes after this you already know that the show continues so i guess we'll we'll not spoil it but we'll yeah. We'll pick up where the sleeves off next. Time.
0: <laughs> Again, the George R. R. Martin version just thrown into the sun. No one saves them.
2: <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if George R. R. Martin had written this.
0: Uh, the, well, yeah. So that's, uh, that's episode seven. Um, thanks everyone for uh, listening. Uh, if you want to find us on any of our social media links that are in the descriptions of the show, please feel free to reach out to us uh, as always again uh the podcast is supported by our patreon at patreon.com slash em network and or tell people where they can find you on the internet this week
2: i mean pay attention yeah at hold me closer underscore tiny painter is my um my miniature instagram and then i actually did create an instagram for the show which we will be uh just adding random screenshots of weird stuff like uh, Neo Sapiens being smushed by chunks of rock. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we and gotta that get that one is... On <laughs> I'll is. I'll upload it when we uh, release this, this particular episode, but I think that's Exo uh, Friends podcast.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, all one word. I will have, um, it's too soon to make an announcement now, but there's uh, just, it's just, and actually by the time this airs, hopefully maybe a little little closer to being able to say some concrete stuff about it. But uh, there's a creative project that we're just kind of starting to think about the details of and get working on uh, based on a D&D campaign I'm running and a campaign setting in my own design. So just teasing it a little bit now, but uh, in the next six months or so, hopefully should have a little more to say about that. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah.
0: Can't wait to hear about that. Um... I get, the only thing I have to plug is every Thursday I am streaming on Twitch as part of the EM network, twitch.tv slash uh, EMN and uh, this, when this episode comes out I'll be playing This War of Mine, talking about the consequences of war has inspired me to uh, to maybe put that out into the world. So mm-hmm. watch out for that around the time that this episode is coming out and I look forward to seeing anyone who wants to drop by and uh, start up a conversation. Sounds that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh. And uh, that that's it for me. I think I'll sign off and say goodnight, everybody. Have yep. a great weekend and stay safe out there.
1: Thanks for listening. Keep looking on the bright
0: side. <laughs> <laughs>